It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everybody. Welcome to the program. In previous episodes of this program, I have given strong reasons to reject Darwin's evolutionary theory for biology. More than a thousand scientists from various backgrounds and areas of expertise have questioned the legitimacy of random mutation and natural selection to account for the complexity of life. Unfortunately, Darwinism is not limited to just biology. In the 1950s, a group of scholars produced a volume titled Evolutionary Thought in America, which surveyed its impact across several professional fields. The book included chapters on the influence of evolution on sociology, psychology, economics, political thought, moral theory, theology, and even literature. The table of contents drives home the wide-ranging impact Darwinism has exerted on virtually every field of study. In fact, when Darwinism crossed the Atlantic Ocean in the late 19th century, it was welcomed to America by a group of scholars who founded an entire school of philosophy upon it. They jumped on it because that would give them a leg up in the academic community. The school, called Philosophical Pragmatism, included the likes of John Dewey, William James, Charles Sanders Peirce, and Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr. Its core assumption was that if life has evolved, then the human mind has evolved as well. And all human sciences, including psychology, education, law, and theology, must be rebuilt on that basis. Pragmatism, the only homegrown philosophy, must be encouraged and promoted. At its heart, pragmatism is a Darwinian view of knowledge. The pragmatists asked, What does Darwinian naturalism mean for the way to understand the human mind? And they answered, it means the mind is is nothing more than a part of nature. They rejected the older views that the human mind is transcendent to matter in favor of the Darwinian view that mind is produced by nature. In a single stroke, This assumption subverted both traditional and liberal forms of theism. Why? Because both forms made mind prior to matter. In the pragmatist idea of Darwinism, the order was reversed. To them, mind emerges very late in evolutionary history, 
as a product of purely natural forces. Mind is not a fundamental creative force in the universe, but merely an evolutionary byproduct. In short, Darwin naturalized the mind. One of William James's students, Edward Thorndike, put chickens in boxes and then measured the time it took to learn to press a lever to open a door and get food pellets. You may remember this from Psychology 101 course. Sure enough, over the time, the chickens learned to press the lever as soon as they were in the box. The pattern had been imprinted. James decided that ideas were imprinted in the human mind in the same way. If believing something produces results, if it gets us food pellets as a reward, then over time that belief is imprinted in our minds. In James's famous phrase, truth is the cash value of an idea. If it pays off, then pragmatists would call it true. In short, pragmatists claim that beliefs are not reflections of reality, but merely rules for action. Peirce liked to say that beliefs are a kind of prediction, a bet, so to speak. To understand how revolutionary all this was, we must realize that until this time, the dominant theory was based on the biblical doctrine of the image of God. It is because human reason reflects divine reason that we can trust human knowledge to be generally reliable. God made our minds to fit the universe that he had made for us to inhabit. And when our cognitive faculties are functioning properly, they are designed to give us genuine knowledge. But the pragmatists viewed it differently. If blind, undirected natural forces produce the mind, they said, then it is meaningless to ask whether our, our ideas reflect reality. However, the pragmatists were using their minds and believing they did reflect reality. So eventually they will have to face up that they are agreeing with a theory that will render their thinking useless. The Bible says, There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. That's in Proverbs 14, verse 12. Michael Denton, author of Evolution, A Theory and Crisis, writes, the suggestion that life and man are the result of chance is incompatible with the biblical assertion of their being the direct result of intelligent activity. So there are logical, scientific, biblical, and pragmatic reasons to be skeptical of Darwinism. Even though I think that the Darwinian theory is terribly wrong, and has had a deleterious effect on our whole society, I'm reminded that the primary goal of Christian apologetics is to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, not simply to refute false ideas and opinions and arguments. 
Therefore, I hope you will join me in thinking in terms of what would best constitute an apologetic approach when evolution is at issue. Darwinism is based on naturalism. Naturalism eventually leads to nihilism, and that ultimately means that nothing has any value. Thus, that ultimate meaning applied to nihilism itself implies that it has no value. Thus, nihilism is self-defeating. So Darwinism is consequently self-defeating. That's one approach. But some Darwinists will still bury their heads in the sands because, as Richard Lewontin says, they can't allow a divine foot into the door. Another approach is to chip away at the pillars of the foundation of what we have now in our culture. In the last episode, I discussed the Christian liberalism religion, that is, in reality, an aberrant religion coming from the worldview that opposes the Orthodox Christian worldview. It is a camouflage religion masquerading as Christian. I have said that Christian liberalism is humanism, pure and simple. So let me start by discussing humanism. Humanism focuses on the values and interests of human beings. There are Christian forms and non-Christian forms. Secular humanism is the dominant form of the latter. Its confession is, man is the measure of all things. Rather than being focused on human beings, Its philosophy is based on human values. Secular humanists comprise a diverse group, including the ideas of existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre, those of Karl Marx, and the ideas of pragmatist John Dewey, William James, Charles Sanders Peirce, and the jurist Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., The ideas of Ayn Rand and the behaviorist B.F. Skinner are also included. They don't have identical views on everything, but differences notwithstanding, non-Christian humanists do share a core of beliefs. Those core beliefs have been summarized in two humanists' manifestos and represent a coalition of various humanist viewpoints. One view is that all humanists believe in some form of evolution. A study of two humanist manifestos reveals a common core of at least five beliefs. First, it's atheistic. Second, naturalistic. Third, evolutionistic. Fourth, relativistic concerning morality. And fifth, human self-sufficiency. For more information, consult the Baker Encyclopedia of Christian Apologetics by Norman Geisler. The website godchristians.org is a good resource for Christians. I obtained several pointers about secularism from that site for this episode. Essentially, secularism, also known as secular humanism, says that man does not need God. 
It permeates all facets of our society, education, government, the justice system, the media, the entertainment industry, etc. Secular humanists believe that morals are man-centered, not God-centered. Therefore, no one is entitled to determine right from wrong, and morality is best determined by what is good for today's culture. Secularists do not believe that humanity can have a set of permanent values like the Ten Commandments. Secularism pays lip service to tolerance and diversity, yet many times secularists are intolerant of those who look to the Bible as God's standard for morality. When the things of God and the relics of religious practices of national leaders are removed from public awareness, like from schools, courtrooms, and national monuments, as described in the book Dark Agenda by David Horowitz, it naturally leads to a deterioration of personal morality. Situational ethics does away with moral absolutes and dictates that there are no limits, no values, no real standards. That is why we see at every turn crime and immorality. The more our nation embraces secular humanism, the more it becomes like ancient Israel, where everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That can be found in Judges chapter 17, verse 6, and chapter 21, verse 25. When the mindset is, if it feels good, do it. Wickedness, perversion, and sin becomes the norm. In a completely secularist society, marriage is disparaged, morality is mocked, human life is devalued, illicit sex is rampant, greed runs amok, and power goes to the most fierce and cruel. Because man has a hardened heart against God, we have sown to the wind and are in danger of reaping the whirlwind. Even the church is being impacted by secularism. Most churches deal less with moral conduct for, for fear of offending them. However, the church cannot allow itself to become secular. Jesus taught that though we are in the world, we are not of the world. Despite the claims of secular humanism, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. God's word is truth, and if we continue in Jesus' word, we shall know the truth, and the truth shall make us free. As believers living in a secular society, we must, quote, become blameless, harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's found in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. Remember the call to give a reason for the hope within us is in the context of suffering for doing right instead of wrong. I close this episode by reminding you to exercise daily, walk with God.
Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.